they would look into the tax code and see hmm, the contributions into foreign tax schemes are not deductible as employee expenses, so we reject. It's better to have both the policy introducing the indexation regime, but also to provide indexation in reality. Hello, welcome to Alrud podcast, Be Aware and Share. My name is Irina Anyukhina, I'm partner of Alrud Law Firm, and I'm here today to discuss with my colleagues one important topic, incentivizing employees. My colleagues here are Olga Pimanova, expert of our corporate and M&A practice, as well as expert in labor law, and Margarita Giazarova, expert in labor law. Incentivizing of employees exerts a strong influence in terms of their strategic impact and can be an effective tool for employers, particularly during times of economic uncertainty. Incentivizing enables employers to retain key talents, implement new skills and behaviors, and finally drive organizational transformation. The fast-changing employment environment due to the COVID-19 outbreak can also inspire the need for changes to the incentivizing plans. Now, as organizations have adjusted to a new reality, they have an opportunity to reevaluate their pay plans and uh, introduce some program changes that could help them thrive within a rapidly changing economic reality. Today, we will address these issues that are crucial for organizations and uh, we will discuss the acceptable types of employee motivation in Russia. Now let's start with the basics. Margarita, could you briefly outline the general types of incentives under the laws of Russia? Yes, sure. Hello, everyone. Hello, Irina. Hello, Olga. I will briefly comment on general approach of incentivizing of employees without dwelling into too many legal details. In terms of labor legislation, labor code provides for basically two types of incentives. It's material and tangible benefits. And when we are talking about material ones, it's uh, kind of a standard thing, including different types of monetary benefits. For example, very regular bonuses related or related to labor activities of employees and results. Sign-off or retention bonuses, which are quite specific. Seek leave payments gross ups or business trips gross ups, as well as different types of pension plans, incentive programs involving even options and uh, similar kinds of uh, incentives. Intangible benefits, most frequently we see in the contracts voluntary medical insurance, which became very a regular benefit provided by the employers over the Russia on the Russian market. It also includes additional days off, for example, after business trip or to compensate long sick leave, as well as opportunities to have options of additional education or courses, learning language, as well as, for example, compensation for relocation or compensation for using personal car or even providing a business class car for some top management employees. Thank you, Margarita. Another key consideration is uh, how both cash-settled and share-settled long-term incentive plans, including foreign ones, 
can be used to stimulate a remarkable contribution to the business. As in fact, for some organizations, the long-term incentives uh, represent the largest part of their executives' total direct compensation. Olga, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you, Irina, and uh, hello, everybody. Indeed, the Russian companies do use incentive plans based on equity. As there are no specific regulations for the employee share plans in Russia, they are normally structured either under civil law as uh, option agreements or similar things, or under employment law as a sort of phantom share awards, uh, which are basically resembling the sort of the bonuses uh, which may be related to the achievement of certain results by the company. Structuring the options under civil law involves uh, quite many formalities, uh, for example, certain transactions with the shares and sometimes options uh, themselves should be notarized. And this sometimes is uh, burdensome on the companies unless they are, of course, large companies which can deal with uh, such issues and accept that they provide a guaranteed option remuneration to some top management. So I would say that practice shows that benefits that awards structured under civil law, they are normally provided to the top management to motivate and ensure that they contribute to the results of the company as much as possible. On the other hand, the companies also use the phantom share awards. This is a more easier structure, and uh, so quite many companies do use them. But we also see that quite many large Russian corporations structure their employee share plans based on the shares of their foreign holding companies, because this was a practice which started long ago, I would say 20 years ago, and it still continues because the companies uh, see the benefit of providing the share plans, share awards over their publicly traded shares in foreign holding companies, and which also really incentivizes uh, the employees as they are sure that they see how the uh, prices uh, on the stock market fluctuate and they can see uh, what they can receive as a result of their work as well. It is also possible to operate foreign share-based plans in Russia and a lot of foreign companies which have their subsidiaries in Russia implement their global plans. But here it is important to pay attention to certain specifics of the Russian law because again there are no specific rules for employee share plans and so the very regulated environment of the securities market would also apply and should be considered so the companies should take into account that foreign shares which are not admitted to placement and circulation in Russia can be offered only to the qualified investors. There are certain exemptions uh, to these rules and uh, the companies uh, should also carefully review how to structure these offerings under foreign plans uh, to the employees or their subsidiaries in Russia. And uh, the exemption primarily relates to performing uh, to a possibility to grant an, an award of uh, foreign shares to employees 
who have employment contract, if in the employment contract the parties provide that an employee is entitled to such award. It is also important when implementing the foreign share-based plans to take into account Russian exchange control regulations. They are quite complicated and they often change. So they would normally affect the employees. Normally they do not affect the parent company which grants the benefits. But for the employees, it is very important to know when they receive dividends that they can receive them without specific additional approval by some regulatory authorities or something like that. Normally, the dividends from foreign shares can be obtained by the employees without specific requirements. They should only provide to the bank the documents which are the grounds for acquisition of shares and holding the shares. Also, uh, the tax implications would be normally for the employees. In case of the foreign shares-based plans, they would have to pay, of course, personal income tax and so on. As regards the companies, if the Russian company, which is the direct employer or the plan participant, is not involved in implementation of the foreign plan and is not a source of income under this plan for the employees, then uh, for Russian company, there is no obligation to withhold personal income tax, which it would normally do from the income space to, to its employees. And there is no obligation to pay social securities contributions. Thank you, Olga. Appreciate such comprehensive comments. Further to what we have just discussed, um, are there any statutory incentives guaranteed by uh, the Russian government, Rita? Yeah, I would command less exciting topic than Olga, but still quite interesting. It's about salary indexation. Although it may seem that salary indexation is not a type of incentivizing of employees and it's purely meaning. I would say that salary indexation is something that government is trying to implement or actually implements for the private sector of labor market in order to ensure the real value of remuneration of employees in compression to the change in economic situation. And we've seen it very illustrative during the COVID times when the Russian authorities, they did not provide any softening of the obligatory requirements of the private companies to indexate salaries of the employees on a regular basis as written in the law. So basically, salary indexation means a regular merit increase of all employees on board. And um, this means that companies uh, need to have its own scheme of indexation, meaning that it's not sufficient just to increase salary or to pay bonus. You need to have a structure of indexation implemented in a form of indexation policy or a part of remuneration policy duly localized and set out in the company, approved by the general management, translated into Russian language, introduced to the employees against their signatures, etc., etc., etc. And uh, we have different approaches currently regarding implementation of indexation in the private sector. So the Supreme Court of Russia says, well, if you increase salaries and you have valid proofs confirming this, or if you pay bonuses to the employees each year and you can confirm it, this can be considered an indexation. But we have 
also Ministry of Labor. And the Ministry of Labor says, no, that's not sufficient. You need to have a policy setting out this regime if you want to pay bonuses and set off them for indexation. If you don't have policy, given that understanding to employees and um, I believe to the state authorities, then you need to comply with the indexation rules provided by the Labor Court. And Labor Court says you need to indexate uh, the salary, increase salary by the percent on inflation. And not all the companies agree to this approach because most frequently we see that our clients are ready to provide merit increases, but the clients would like to base these merit increases on the own calculations and depend them on the current economic situation of the company, the relevant performance of employees. So they would like to have flexibility on how much they will give on top of the base salary to the employees each year. So the, not a recommendation, but just a thought that it's better to have both the policy introducing the indexation regime, but also to provide indexation in reality. Good, thank you. Thank you. Moving on, um, pension programs, they also count among different types of incentive programs. How can we vary them? And besides, can organizations here in Russia use foreign pension programs? Olga, what do you think? Yes, in practice we see the following. It is possible to that the company organizes a corporate pension program, in which case it would normally engage private non-state pension fund which would provide for such additional pension insurance. The scheme may be funded both uh, by the employer and by the employee. And the amount of pension benefits which the employee would receive upon retirement would depend only on the amount of contributions made during the scheme by the employer and by the employee. In some cases, it is only the employer who funds these contributions. One moment about taxes. If the contributions are paid also by the employee, the employee may deduct uh, his expenses for the purposes of the personal income tax. If a foreign company would like to implement a foreign corporate pension program, the situation will be a little bit different. Since this program will not be considered as a pension program in terms of the Russian law, It will be quite difficult for the employee, if he pays some contributions into such foreign scheme, to claim deductibility or the contributions of his or her expenses. I would say this is not impossible, but this may be difficult because tax authorities are very formalistic. Uh, they would look into the tax code and see hmm, the contributions into foreign tax schemes are not deductible as employee expenses, so we reject. It is possible, of course, to go to the court and try to overcome this. So I would say this is possible, but not very easy. A foreign pension plan uh, would normally be structured as a sort of obligation in the Russian employment contract to provide some pension payout by a foreign company and the employee would be funding also some contributions to such a foreign plan. But as I said, this will not be treated as a pension in terms of the Russian law. And uh, when retiring from the company, the employee indeed may receive such payment from the foreign company, but it would normally be taxed as a said initially. So I think this is the principal things which we see regarding the implementation of the foreign pension plans in Russia. Great. Thank you so much, Olga. Now, 
I would like to ask one question, which might seem uh, quite evident in terms of answering it. But I will still ask you, Margarita, this one. The question is, uh, how mandatory is the incentivizing in Russia? Are there any legal rules obliging companies to pay bonuses? And uh, what in particular is the court practice about it? Yeah, that's a very good question, Irina. And uh, having discussed different types of incentivizing employees, and of course, interesting to know whether we really have a chance to refuse to pay some. And the answer is yes. Basically, yes. Meaning that labor law doesn't oblige any employees to provide incentives, benefits, bonuses to employees. Labor court just says you can incentivize employees in case you think that can be fair in case employees perform good or to motivate them. At the same time, the tricky thing that in Russia, not everything, but almost everything depends on how you formulate it. And uh, the important thing is to formulate bonus regulation wording in such a way bonuses do not become mandatory. And uh, sometimes we see the employment contracts or bonus policies, uh, the wordings uh, making this paying out of bonuses obligatory for employees, which is obviously not recommended. The payment of bonuses should always depend on company's decision, the employee's achievement of established objectives and targets, and the economic performance of the company, of course. And these tips I mentioned right now are based on the experience of many recent court cases we faced ourselves and we see in the court practice in the open sources. And um, the point is that the most exciting labor disputes relate to recovering these bonuses. Sometimes we see quite ridiculous situations, but I should also mention that this bonus-related litigation are very formalistic and very difficult and um, all depends on the legal side of formalization of the process. I would also say that Following the tips I mentioned, uh, for example, having the bonuses formulated in a discretionary way will also help you to overcome some tax implications which can appear. For example, there are actually two types of formalization of uh, incentivizing of employees. Now I'm commenting only about these irregular types of incentivizing, not about long-term uh, share plans or something, just regular monetary payouts. So there are two types. You can include these bonuses in the remuneration system of employer to make them tax deductible. But at the same time, these bonuses will be included in the calculation of average earnings of the employee, which you need to calculate to compensate for business trips, for example. The second option is not to include any wordings regarding bonuses in the remuneration system, so local policies or employment contracts of the uh, company. In this case, you have 100% discretion, but at the same time, most likely these payments will not be deductible from the tax perspective. And, of course, they will not be included in the average calculations. So this purely up to the company to decide what way to choose and how to structure payouts. But the general tip is to make the wording, if you do this wording, very discretionary and clever, making the company able to make decisions. Thank you very much for our conversation today and sharing your perspective from different angles on cross-border incentivizing of employees in Russia.
The current pandemic situation and uh, economic issues we currently face hugely affected the businesses and the lives. The way of doing business itself has also changed. To be successful, companies must evolve accordingly. And this also includes the effective structuring of incentive plans for the employees. Probably this issue might be of particular importance in the current circumstances. The system of incentivizing the employees can indeed lead to a remarkable contribution to performance. Now, resuming our discussion, surely, keeping in mind all possible options and conditions, it's important not to forget about the legal framework and correct formalization and documentation of the programs you implement in Russia. Thank you for joining us today. You are welcome to listen to our episodes on the Alrud website and in our podcasts on iTunes, Google and Yandex Music. We will be pleased to meet you soon in the next episode of our podcast. Be aware and share. We wish you all a very nice day. Mm-hmm.